right, good morning. Good to see everyone today. Hope you're having a good weekend. Good to be together in the house of the Lord. If you would get your bulletins out, a few announcements as we get started. If you are a guest, please fill out this uh, tear-off portion on the blue side on the back of your envelope or on your bulletins and put them in the offering plate when it goes by. And we will love to follow up with you about Mechanicsville Baptist. On the other side is a place for prayer requests. On the bottom, just write a prayer request there. We'd be blessed and honored to pray for you. Uh, it can be anonymous. It does not have to be uh, listed on who or what it's about. But if you need prayer, please put that there, and we'll pray with you on Tuesdays each time. On the back are opportunities for the week. I want to make mention of a few things. Uh, tonight we do have our encounter service right here in the sanctuary at 5 o'clock. Ensemble and youth meet at 6, and then handbells at 7. Uh, this week on Wednesday, the teenagers, we are going to St. Paul's Linton service and lunch on Wednesday. We're going to leave at 1030, so be here on time and ready to go. And then they will not have their morning uh, uh, prayer time Bible study that is going to take the place of that. So 1030 this Wednesday, teenagers of St. Paul's. And then Wednesday night, we have our connect groups, Awana Youth midweek Bible study, and worship choir rehearsal. Thursday, 7.30 a.m. is fellowship breakfast at Cold Harbor Restaurant. Everyone's invited to come out for that. And then missions development team meets at 6.30. So take note of all those other things that are going on as well. And look forward to a good week together at church. So anything else that I forgot there? At 10.30. Okay, so not leaving right at 10.30, but the, the teenagers are going to meet at 10.30, have a brief meeting before we gather and go. All right, so let's uh, come together and worship our God today. This is the day the Lord has made. Amen? Amen. It's been a while since we've stood up and did some meeting and some greeting. So it's, I want you to stand up and I want you to get your hymnals ready to page 571, so open that up. And Linda and Paul are gonna play. This is the day the Lord has made. While they play, I want you to stand up and extend that fellowship. We're so glad to see everybody here this morning. Now let's stand and be ready to sing, but say hello to your neighbor.
us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you this day and thank you for uh, making it and uh, creating it and giving us opportunity to worship you and to glorify you in the highest. God, we thank you for the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So God, we thank you that uh, your Holy Spirit is here amongst us in this hour, and we pray that uh, in all we say, in all we do, that you be glorified. We lift up our songs, we lift up um, our time together, we lift up the word that will be proclaimed, and we pray that we leave here changed by your Spirit. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Please let us stand and sing number 508, Have Faith in God. Please join us.
Stay with your hymnals and turn to page 31 for our responsive reading today. Page 31, I will do the worship leader part of Paul, and you all read together, the worshipers, and then we'll all read together at the end. Page 31, our responsive reading. For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. All the nations you have made will come and bow down before you, Lord, and will honor your name, for you are great and perform wonders. You alone are God. You alone are the Lord. You created the heavens, the highest heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host worships you. You've exalted your name and your promise above everything else. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. May the Lord add the reading, the blessing, the reading of his word. Let us now stand and sing hymn number 13, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. Please join us. Father God, full of grace and truth, Father, you are great and greatly to be praised. Your greatness is immeasurable. 
as we approach this upcoming Easter season, Father, may we never forget the price that you paid, Almighty Jesus. For your word tells us you came not to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom. For the love that you have for us, Father, is a love that is beyond our comprehension. A love that can never fail, it can never end, it can never disappoint. And may out of the love that you have for us, the love and devotion that we have unto you, may we give back to you now a portion of what you have given unto us. May you grant us wisdom in the use of these tithes and offerings. And may they be used to share the love, the depths of the love that you have for us, Christ Jesus. For it's in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, and all of God's people said...
gracious and loving Father, we come before you on this morning that you've given to us filled with sunshine and joy because we are together in your house. Thanking you, Father, for your love shown to us through Jesus, our Savior. Knowing, Father, that as we gather here, you are in our presence. And so we listen for a word from you. We're grateful, Father, to be together. We're thankful that we can pray for one another. For we all come with concerns and anxieties and fears in our lives that we may not express to one another, and yet you know them. We pray, Father, for those who are facing surgery. For those who are recuperating from surgery, we give thanks, Father, that you are watching over them. We thank you, Father, that you are a God of healing and hope. And that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that you have given to us the ability to come before you and ask for healing. We're grateful, Father, for this church. For the ministries and work of this place. And we pray, Father, that as we open your word that we might see the significance and the importance of surrendering self to you. Knowing, Father, that as we do, that your name would be glorified. And that people would see in our lives the power of the resurrection. As we, Father, journey towards Easter, through this Lenten season, keep us ever mindful of the great price that was paid for our sins. We thank you, Father, for the dedicated people around the world who serve as missionaries. For their work, Father, is vital in telling others of your saving grace. We're thankful, Father, that in the midst of the storm, you are the rock. We're thankful that as we gather around your word this morning, Father, that we will do so listening for a word from you. For we make this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Our scripture lesson this morning takes in more of the verses that we looked at last week as we continue our journey towards Easter through Lent. Under the heading, The Cross and Discipleship, we will begin reading in Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 27. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, that, you shall, that this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are an offense to me, or a stumbling block, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his work. The word disciple is rather an appealing word to Christians because it brings to mind those 12 men who were chosen by our Lord for a unique task, that of being the first messengers of the good news he came to give the world. Certainly the shepherds on the Judean hills and the wise men who came from afar were heralds of the Savior, but they did not have an opportunity to know the very essence of Jesus' gospel. The familiar word discipleship also carries a certain appeal, for we interpret it to be the ideal lifestyle of a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, a lifetime of following and learning from the Master. Yet inherent in the word disciple and hence in discipleship is the word discipline. We do not find the same appeal in the word discipline. Because it has negative overtones. Everyone is born with a tendency toward rebellion against authority. In other words, discipline, the avowed enemy of everyone's will, saturated the way of life Jesus came to reveal. Many were confronted with the challenge to follow him. And with that challenge, they could not accept this discipline. As the time for his crucifixion drew near, there was an unusual urgency in what Jesus said about the cross and about discipleship. It is as if he was giving one last pitch to his disciples for what he had come to do. The question raised and answered at Caesarea Philippi had to do with the identity of Jesus. Having accepted the disciples' confession of him as the Christ, Jesus moved next to indicate the way which was his and theirs to follow. Jesus wanted them to know clearly what the cost of following him would be. And as we journey through Lent on our way to the cross we are to be reminded of the price of following him. 
Jesus set forth his destiny in these verses. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. It was as though Jesus had turned a corner in teaching his disciples about his approaching death and resurrection. Several times prior to this, he had spoken of the cross by implication. This is through parables and metaphors and other figures of speech. He had sought to prepare the disciples for the reality of the crucifixion. But they typical of Jewish thinking of that time, had their hearts set on establishing an earthly kingdom then. Their minds were closed to the possibility that Jesus would die and most especially to the thought that he would die on a cross which was an accursed thing for every Jew. This was the appropriate time for Jesus to make this clear evaluation of his mission. Peter had just made his marvelous confession of faith, no doubt speaking not only for himself, but for all the disciples. So with that kind of openness established between Jesus and the disciples, it was time for him to be straightforward concerning what lay ahead. They could understand what Jesus said about suffering, for they already had encountered hostility of the religious hierarchy by this point. But when Jesus used the word killed... They were terrified. In fact, it was such a horrifying thought that apparently they did not even hear the rest of Jesus' statement indicating that he would be raised again the third day. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes when we are delivered bad news, we hear to a certain point and then we cut it off, don't we? We can't hear anymore. It is like a protection of ourselves. The disciples obviously did not hear the part about the resurrection because they could not get past the crucifixion. They could not think outside of what they had already been taught. And they could not believe that Jesus who had come to save sinners would be the one who would die. Peter took him aside to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Is this the same Peter who made that victorious declaration of faith shortly before in Caesarea Philippi? Note how graphically Matthew describes what happened. Peter took him aside. In the first service, I couldn't find something to grab. In this service, I said, well, I won't grab that. It's too heavy. I might fall down. But it's as if you know how when someone says something and that you don't want them to say anymore or it's a child or something and you'll grab them by the arm and you say, you're coming with me. That's kind of what happened here. It was that kind of moment. You're coming with me because you're not going to talk that way. Peter took him aside. It was as if Peter stepped up beside Jesus and pulled him to the side as one who would take a person who was upset or distressed and lead them away from the crowd. Peter began to rebuke him. Peter said, Jesus, you're talking foolishness. This will never happen to you. We won't allow it. He admonished Jesus as a school teacher would attempt to set a student straight who had become confused about something. Like that story I told you a few weeks ago about the little boy that told Janet he wasn't in trouble. He was just getting a talking to. Jesus was giving, was getting a talking to from Peter. 
But look, Jesus quickly and positively responded to Peter's actions. Matthew says that he turned. And the aorist tense of the verb suggests that it was a fast, immediate action on Jesus' part. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Peter was doing the same thing that that Satan had done when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. He was saying, bypass the cross. Take another route. You don't have to die. Jesus told Peter, you are a stumbling block to me. In other words, Peter, you are tempting me to offend my father by failing to do what he had purposed that I do. Peter spoke the spirit of his age and of ours. The demand for a crossless Christ is still with us today. It is far more appealing to admire Jesus' perfect life and praise his beautiful teachings than it is to accept his bloody cross. But notice what Jesus said. Peter, you are a stumbling block to me. You are trying to trip me up. Peter was not only a stumbling block to Jesus, he had become a stumbling block to himself. You know how that is. I told them in the first service, if you had children and the children bring their toys out, it's been a while since I've had toys all over my floor at home, but used to have that, you know, when the children were small. And you tell them, pick up your toys. And they might pick up a few here and there. But you knew when they didn't pick them all up because you'd walk through in the dark or something and step on one of them, and then you'd really get mad, wouldn't you? Something is in the way. Jesus was saying, Peter. The same question could be asked of us. What is in the way of our relationship to Jesus Christ? What is in our way? What have we put in our way? Jesus explains discipleship at this point. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for, mine, for me will find it. Literally, Jesus said, If anyone wishes to follow me. Now hear that. There is no compulsion here. God has so limited himself that he will not force anyone to follow him. Jesus leaves his people free to follow him in this intimate relationship or not to follow him at all. It depends on the degree of love one has for the Lord. Jesus insisted upon the necessity of the way of the cross, not only for himself but also for his followers. The cross could prove to be literal for disciples as well as master. Whether literal or not, it represents a real way of life through death to self for each disciple. Jesus wants people who will put themselves aside and follow him at all costs. You've heard me talk about my dogs, I know, before. And people that don't have dogs don't understand the bond that you have with your dogs. But many of you have had them through the years. And uh, my dogs will stick with me wherever I am. I can be sitting in the chair in the family room and the dogs are right there. If I make any kind of move, 
They're right there. But Janet can clean the house from top to bottom, walk anywhere she wants to go, and the dogs will stay right with me. They don't follow her. Because I think they really know how she feels about them. But they will follow me anywhere to the point that I really believe this, that if I walked in front of a car on the street, that they would do the same thing. That's how loyal they are in following me. You see the picture here? That's the kind of followers that Jesus wants. We're not dogs. We don't act like dogs in that way. But Jesus wants the kind of followers that adore him so much that they're willing to go anywhere he would have them go. That's what we're talking about. Jesus spoke of self-denial. Self loves to be pampered, indulged, and coddled. But the Christian ideal is that when self comes under fire because of its selfishness and insubordination, don't help it. Let it squirm. When self is tempted to pout and become oversensitive because it considers itself slighted, don't sympathize with it. When self is withering under the searchlight of God's truth, let it suffer and let it die. Take up your cross. Jesus said that the follower of Jesus deny himself is not optional within discipleship. There is no following without this principle. To follow is to take up one's cross and to deny self. Denying self is not to be confused though with denying something to oneself. Whether material things, pleasure or whatever. What Jesus meant by self-denial is far more radical than denying something to oneself. He meant the opposite of Adam's yes to self and no to God that broke fellowship with God to begin with. He meant a yes to God and a no to oneself. All of our sin and self-destruction centers in self-love, self-trust, and self-assertion. The cross means the opposite. It means trust in God, the love of God, commitment to God, and no to self. Jesus humbled himself. And became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. Jesus drives home this revolutionary truth when he speaks of taking up the cross. Again, we have the aorist tense, which suggests immediate, decisive action. Let him take up his cross at once. This was totally distasteful to Jews in general and even to the disciples. The cross was a Roman instrument of torture and disgrace, an accursed thing. And even to touch a cross rendered a Jew ceremonially unclean. Yet Jesus says that one must voluntarily take up a cross and bear it. The point is that Jesus is explaining how to deny self. Self must be crucified, nailed to the cross. Then he says, and follow me. Following Jesus is the inevitable result of denying self. It is impossible for one to follow Christ and at the same time drag about a selfish and rebellious self. We have to nail self to the cross and then follow him. We cannot be what God would have us be if we hold on to anything. It is a relationship that begins with the understanding that Christ died for us. 
Jesus presses for a decision in verses 26 through 28. Because they are concerned with judgment. After warning that one may lose himself in the very act of trying to save himself, Jesus then indicated how great and how irretrievable that loss is. Even should one gain the whole world, it would be worthless to one who forfeits his life. By forfeiting life, Jesus did not refer to physical death because physical death comes to everybody. He referred to one's missing his true destiny. Failing to become the self he was designed to be. To state it more simply, as one pursues his goals in life, he may miss the true life which can be known alone in proper relationship with God. Could such a one live his life over? He would give the world in exchange for the life that lasts. You see, that's the key. The key is, are we living for now or are we living for eternity as we are obedient to Christ? We can't accomplish anything in our lives for Christ or God's church until we are sold out on Jesus. And that's for every individual. He goes on, what good would it, will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? We are told that Emperor Charlemagne was buried not dressed in grave clothes and reclining in a casket, but in the robes of state and seated upright on a throne. An open Bible was on his knee and one of his fingers pointed to the words that spoke for him when he could no longer speak for himself. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world? yet forfeits his soul. What is a person's soul? It is not something hidden away inside to be saved by attending church on Sunday while the rest of the person remains worldly and chained to material possessions. What profit is it if a person gains all the world has to offer in order to exalt and pamper self when self is lost? What can a person give to recover it? The world offered its rewards to Jesus, didn't it? But he refused them to do the will of his heavenly Father. The world makes the same offer to us. To appease self and to say in the words of the popular Sinatra ballad, I did it my way. But if we choose to follow Jesus, we must make the same choice Jesus made. We must accept the cross. Not for the same reason that he did but that we might nail self to the cross so we can follow Jesus wherever he leads. We live in a day of casual Christianity. I would say casual American Christianity. Someone recently said that the average church could drop one-fourth of its members from the membership role and neither the church nor the drop members would notice any difference. Casual Christians are those who want to be numbered among the flock but could care less about following the shepherd. They want the forgiveness the cross of Christ brings but never intend to carry their own cross. Let someone else carry my cross. They want warm, fuzzy moments on Sunday mornings but offer no commitment to Jesus on Monday mornings. In short, they want the crown without the cross. Here's the paradox of it all. 
To know real joy in the Christian life, we must feel the pain of death. And sadly, it is not a one-time experience. How wonderful it would be if we could bury self one time and it would stay dead forever. Instead, we must daily nail, nail self to the cross. And you know it's hard to do. Particularly in the individualistic society we live in where we think that our rights trump everything else. But look at Jesus. Jesus left glory. And Paul said he humbled himself. Himself. And became obedient to death. Because he was fulfilling his father's will. We must nail self to the cross daily. And every time we do it, we strengthen our inner self, our spiritual self, which is controlled by the Lord Jesus. Disciple is certainly an appealing word, but within it there is the discipline of the cross, the denial of self, so that Christ may reign supreme as Savior and Lord. Because Jesus would say to us today, as he said to Peter and the disciples then, if anyone, anyone, Hear that anyone desires to come after me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And if you look in the Gospel of Luke, another word is added. Take up the cross daily and follow me. We can never be what God intends us to be until we fall in love with Jesus in that kind of way. This side of glory on the underbelly of life in glory, eternal life, we can't see clearly, can we? But time and time and time again, Jesus has tried to show us in his word and through his actions how we are to live. It's up to us to decide how we will respond. Shall we pray? Oh Lord, we are grateful for the power of your word. For in your word we find assurance and hope and understanding. Father, we know that we're not all that we should be. We know that there are many times that self gets in the way. It's part of our human sinful nature. And yet, Father, around us a world is dying without a Savior. Because we are not willing to give of self to go and to tell. Speak to our hearts, Father. Help us to deny self and to daily take up our cross so that we could be reminded of the great price that was paid for our sins and the great gift of grace that is given to anyone who would call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. Help us, Father, 
to walk with him. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Our hymn of invitation is number 450. Precious Lord, take my hand. As we walk with the Lord, isn't it wonderful to know that we can sing these words and know that figuratively the Lord can take our hand and lead us. There's nothing quite like that when you're a child, is it? To have your parent take your hand and walk with you along the way. There's comfort in that, isn't it? There's reassurance in that. Knowing that someone cares enough to make sure that you follow and go the right way. Jesus would only wish and hope for us that we would go the right way with him. The invitation is open to anyone who would receive Christ as Savior and Lord. Allow him to take your hand and lead you to salvation. Whatever your desires, we stand and sing hymn number 450. Thank you for being here this morning for this service and happy first Sunday of spring, right? Yeah, because spring came in this past week and um, it doesn't feel like spring yet though, does it? 29 degrees this morning and frost on the windshield, but we'll get there, we always do, and then we'll be complaining about how hot it is in the summer, won't we? That's just the way we are. You know, I wish more of us could be like the weather. I heard this the other day. You know, people complain about the weather all the time, but the weather doesn't care a bit, does it? Just keeps doing what it does, doesn't it? Just whatever. Doesn't matter. But uh, we are grateful to be together today in the house of the Lord and trust that uh, as we leave, that we will leave challenged to walk with the Lord. Let's bow for the benediction. Father, as we leave on this day that you have granted to us, a day where we are alive, A day, Father, where life is given to each of us now and in eternity through Jesus Christ. May we, Father, be willing to lay that life down for you. As we seek to serve you here and in the communities where we work and witness. Help us, Father, as we seek 
to find assurance in your grace and in your mercy. And in the power of your love that took you to the cross and to the resurrection. Bless us as we depart. In the name of Jesus. Amen.